We are going through the Gospel of Mark, and as we do here is we take books of the Bible and we just kind of walk through them verse by verse, and today we're going to get into one of the most weird passages of Scripture. Next Sunday, we're going to read some of the most challenging but important words that Jesus ever spoke. And here's who I want to be here next week. If you have ever known someone who has been divorced, or if you yourself have experienced the pain of divorce, and you kind of wonder, well, what does God say? And is there life after divorce? And what do we do? And how do we deal with prickly passages? I want to invite you to be here next week and bring someone who needs to hear this as well because we're going to look at what Jesus says. And here's what I think will happen for many of you in this room. You will go away with greater clarity and more encouragement that there is life even after moments where we fail or others fail us. And so that's next week. We're going to be getting into that. So you do not want to miss our time next week. Now, today, I want to begin our text this morning with a question. And here's the question. What, let's see if I can get it up here. What makes a great worship experience? What makes just an awesome life-changing, transformative worship experience. Now, you don't have to give any answers, but let me put some up on the board. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't put some of these up, but maybe someone you know would. Some people would say, well, a life-changing, great worship experience, it's all about the singing. And by the way, didn't Paul and the team do a great job leading us this morning in our worship time? Yeah, that's good to thank them. Some would say it's the singing. And then depending on your tradition, some would say, no, it's not the singing, it's the, it's the music. And then others might say, well, it's not even the singing or the music, it's, it's well, what about this one? <laughs> you know anyone who defines a good worship experience by how new or old the songs are? And unless it was written last week, it's not good. Or unless it was written before Jesus walked the earth, it's not good. And so we sometimes say it's a great one or it's not, because it's new or old songs. Or other people might say, well, communion. And I love how Seth led us through that moment of remembering the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, and now the victory we have in him. So some would say, well, it's communion. And then others might say, well, this is what makes a great worship experience. Because like Mitch said, some of us were just tired. We need coffee, and we need good coffee. That's why some of you bring your own coffee. How dare you defile our place with someone else's coffee, but you can do it anyway. And then others in here, you say, well, no, it's not any of those things. It's just that it ends on time. That's what makes a great worship time. I I got news for you. Today ain't going to be a great worship time then, okay? (laughs) For others, it's going to be, well, did someone give their life to Jesus and and identify with him in baptism? That's what makes a great worship experience. Still others, it's going to be childcare. Because if I'm going to worship Jesus, I do it better when my kids aren't around. By the way, I get that at times, don't you? And then for others, it's going to be good preaching. Again, I'm sorry, we ain't having a good service this morning, if that's you this morning. For others, then, it's going to be, well, it's going to be the lights and the visuals. And and maybe at some places, it's the fog machine or it's the disco ball, wherever you go. And still for others, it's going to be, well, it's just going to be, how did people respond Did anyone come forward? And so for you, you're watching the end. Has anyone come forward for encouragement or to pray for someone else? That's how I know it's been good. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to show you from the text before us 
what makes a great worship experience. And while all of these things may be helpful, they may be good, not one of these determines if you have a great worship experience. But the text we look at this morning is going to show us the two things. We're going to read from Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning as we read from God's Word. Mark 9, beginning in verse 2, says this, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured or changed before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, which means teacher, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, Moses, and Elijah, And I love this little statement. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I, say this word with me, love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man, that's just a title for Jesus, had risen from the dead. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this morning you would show us what it means to experience worship So that those of us who perhaps have been part of your church for decades would see the new depths of relationship and joy that can be found with you. Thank you, Jesus, for revealing yourself to us. It's in your name that we pray to the Father. Amen. Go ahead and grab your seat. So here's the scene. Jesus has just asked them in the previous chapter, who do people say I am? And they have declared, Peter declares, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are Christ. You are Messiah. You are the King. You are the King of all kings. Chapter 8 and now into chapter 9, this is the hinge point, the culmination of the entire gospel of Mark. Everything from chapter 1 to this point has been leading up to a literal and a figurative hill of saying, this is who Jesus is. And they takes, Jesus takes them up to this high mountain. Now, no one knows for sure, but we think it may have been Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was to the north of Caesarea Philippi. It stood 9,200 feet high. And I don't know what you think about when you think about the Middle East, but I always think about dusty ground and rocks and rubble. But you need to know Mount Hermon, because of its altitude, is almost year-round covered in snow at the tops. And Jesus takes his followers up for some time with him. He takes three of his closest followers and he he takes them up there for, for solitude time. Now here's the thing, whenever we read the Bible... There are stories that you read, that I read, and haven't you had these moments where you read something and you go, boy, I wish I could have been there for that. 
For instance, I wish I were there for creation. Let there be light. How incredible. Or I would have loved to have been there when God, through Moses, parted the Red Sea and the Israelites went across on dry ground. I would have loved to have been there. And this is one of the moments I would have loved to have personally witnessed. The transfiguration of Jesus. And that word transfigure, the Greek word is um, metamorphosis. It's the idea of a butterfly going from a caterpillar to a butterfly, that something is changing. And I wonder, what did the disciples see in the moment where Jesus split the skin of humanity and his divinity just overflowed, spilling out in eye-popping color where they go, wow, that's this moment. And can you imagine what it would have been like for Peter, for James and John? What did they see in that moment See, one of the things that we have to remember is in the incarnation, by the way, that word incarnation is just a fancy word that describes Jesus' full divinity, full godhood, and Jesus' full humanity, that he is fully God and fully man. The incarnation, when we think about it, we often look, and in this passage we say, ah, so this is what God looks like, the face of God. If you want to know what he looks like, look to Jesus If you want to experience the presence of God, be with Jesus. That Jesus is the fullness of God. And that is good to remember about Jesus in the incarnation. But here's what we forget. Not only is the incarnation a picture of God and what God looks like, but the incarnation shows us what being human is supposed to look like as well because Jesus is fully God and fully man, perfect in both. Meaning what we see Jesus experience is ultimately what he would want for every one of us to witness and experience. It is not just for him to experience this openness, this connection, this experience with God, but it is something that he would desire for us. Now the word there talking about the brilliance of the clothes that he wore, how he was changed, transformed. In Matthew's account, he uses the word basically translated lightning. The clothing was so bright that it was almost that, that startling brightness. Uh, how many of you saw the storm we had a couple nights ago? Any of you see that? And just the flashes that were constant through the sky almost took your breath away when you'd see the streaks across the sky. This is the image that they're trying as best they can with human words to convey this perfection of God, this brilliance, this whiteness, and it's just overwhelming. And then before them stands Elijah, the great prophet who did miracles in the power of God from the Older Testament, and also Moses, the lawgiver, the liberator of Israel, appears. What's interesting is Moses, he wrote the laws down of God and Elijah was one of the prophets of God. Scripture in the Old Testament is defined as the law and the prophets. So with Moses and Elijah present, it is as though all of the Old Testament is saying, this is the one we've been talking about, Jesus. Then they appear, the superheroes of the faith. And I love Peter. He is so overwhelmed by this moment that he doesn't know what to say. So he does what I do and maybe you do. He just starts to talk. How many of you have ever just started talking when you didn't know what to say? How many of you wish that you didn't start talking when you didn't know what to say? That's what's happening here, and I love Peter. He's like, oh, Jesus, this is great. I tell you what, let's let's just 
pop up a little holy Hilton right here. We're going to have a Jesus Hilton, a Moses Hilton, and an Elijah Hilton. It'll be the original Holy Land theme park. It's going to be great. And people can come and they'll visit. Like if they have a question about the law, they'll come talk to Moses. And if they want to see a miracle, they'll go say, hey, Elijah, whip one up and he'll do something. And if they want to hang out with you, then they can be with you. Won't that be great? And I love how he doesn't even think to say, hey, let's put up six little huts. It's only three. I mean, it's like, what, what about he, James, and John? Are they just going to like bunk with Jesus and Moses? And I don't know. But he's just is so overwhelmed by what he is seeing. He doesn't know what to say. And he just starts talking. And then a cloud appears. And these are good Jewish boys. They know what the cloud always represents. In the Old Testament, when the cloud would come down on the tent of meeting, the place where Moses would go to be with God, the, the cloud was the presence of God. He had come near. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai, the cloud and the covering came as well. They know that this is not just some fog. This is the symbolic physical presence of God coming near. And to keep any questions from their minds, a voice speaks. This is my son whom I love. And if you love him, listen to him. And they're like, wow, this is great. You say, what does it take to have a great worship experience? You'll notice what is missing from this text. You'll notice that there were no songs sung, as beautiful as singing may be. There was no building that they met in, no padded chairs, no Starbucks coffee. I know you think it's from heaven, but it really ain't. There was no big altar call. There was none of those things, yet they worshiped so much that Peter's like, I don't care what is down below. I don't want to leave this place. I just want to be with you here if you're taking notes. What makes a great worship experience? Number one, Jesus is seen and celebrated. Jesus is seen and celebrated. Friend, listen, if you go away feeling better about yourself today, but you don't see Jesus more clearly, you may have had a self-help pep talk, but you have not worshipped. Worship is always about seeing and celebrating Jesus, getting a picture for his bigness, his beauty, his splendor. That if you want a great worship experience, you lean in to see and celebrate Jesus But that's not all that happens for a great worship experience. Because you notice that although Peter wants to stay on the mountain, verse 9 tells us Jesus doesn't even mention what he's going to do. It's just like Peter's talking. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, keep talking. Let's go. And where does Jesus take them? Back down the mountain. See, it's not simply that you see and celebrate Jesus. True, authentic Life-shaping, life-changing worship is not simply that you see and celebrate Jesus, but authentic worship always leads you to fulfill God's mission. If you go away from here and you have an emotional experience, you're like, oh, that was beautiful. Oh, it was so wonderful. Maybe you're crying. Maybe you're jumping for joy. Maybe you have one of those attaboy moments, girl moments. You're just like, yeah. But if it doesn't lead you to leave this place 
on the mission of God to see a lost and broken world restored to him, if it doesn't lead you to that, then you had an emotional experience, but you did not worship. Isaiah, one of the other great prophets, we're told he sees God high and lifted up, and as a result of that, he goes out proclaiming the message of God to the people that God has sent him. Whenever people would encounter Jesus throughout his ministry, Jesus, their encounter would be so great that they then could not help but tell others about Jesus. The woman at the well, come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be Messiah? That if you have seen Jesus clearly, you will be sent by Jesus to reach people through mission. This is what true worship looks like. Now, As soon as I say that, you say, well, now wait a minute. How do we get that from this text? Well, you see, as soon as this event happens, Jesus carries his disciples down the mountain, walks with them, and immediately he comes upon a situation. Some of his other followers, the ones who did not go up on the mountain with him, are embroiled in an argument. There's a man, a father, whose son has been demon-possessed, and he came to the disciples and said, can you help me? They tried to cast out the demon, but could not. So now the dad is mad. He's frustrated, saying, well, why not? You have the religious leaders who are gathered, and they are taunting the followers of Christ because they can't do this. And so Jesus shows up, and the man looks at Jesus, and you have that incredible encounter where the man looks at him and he says, if you can... Have pity on my son. And Jesus says, if I can, everything is possible for those who believe. And the man utters those famous words, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus heals the boy. The demon is gone. Now, after that encounter, Jesus goes into a house with his followers, and they say, what's up? Why could we not do what you just did? And it's important. Jesus says, this kind only comes out. This situation is only overcome. This experience, this challenge cannot be met except by prayer. Some manuscripts will say much prayer, and others will say by much prayer and fasting. Now, here's the question. Does Jesus in that text respond, oh, the reason you couldn't do it is because only I can do it? No. He doesn't say you can't do this. He does not say that you will encounter things for which God is incapable of working through you. He says the difference between what you could do and what I just did is not internal ability, but it is time with God. That worship precedes mission. That celebrating Jesus, seeing Jesus always precedes mission. That you have to be filled before you can be emptied. Let me give you an illustration. This is a sponge. Have you ever seen a sponge before? (laughs) Now, here's how this works. All right, simple illustration. You are a sponge. You understand that every day you are absorbing content, intentionally and unintentionally. Young people, this is why what you watch and what you listen to matters. You may not know it, but it is coming into you. Older people, this is why what you watch and what you listen to matters. It is changing and influencing you. And so we are daily being filled with something. But notice this. What we are seeing is that worship is seeing 
and celebrating Jesus that we come in and we are filled up. But before we can be refilled, we have to be emptied out. That there is room only insofar as we empty out. It's one of those things. You say, well, I just want more of Jesus. You come in, you have an experience, maybe your own quiet time and experience. Something happens and you say, this is so great. I just want more. I want more. I want more. And Jesus is saying, I will give you more once you let go of what I've already given once you go on mission. Have you noticed the people who live for Jesus Monday through Saturday tend to worship the best on Sunday? Because they have emptied themselves. What he has given, they have now given. And they come in saying, yay God, I saw him move. I saw this situation. I encountered something I couldn't do, but by the power of God, something changed. Or this was a heartbreaking moment, yet God sustained. This was a challenging situation, yet God met it. They come in, and they do not come in saying, I am deflated, I am empty, I need someone else to fill me up. Rather, they're saying, man, I need more of this. Let's get going. There's a world that needs this celebrating and seeing Jesus and being propelled on mission. You know that you have worshiped God. Now, here's the question. Let's get real practical. How do you do that? You say, well, okay, Josh, that that list, if you're saying those are not necessarily the things that that somehow make it good, then then what can we do? Okay, I want to get real practical. Let's just look at what Jesus did for his worship time. Are you ready? The very first thing, number one here is prayer. Let's go back to Mark chapter 1. I want you to see this. Jesus' ministry begins. Mark chapter 1, he is doing miracles. People are excited, and they begin to look for Jesus. Early one morning, they come. They're looking for him, but they can't find him. The Savior of the world has come, and we lost him. Turns out, he got away for the night, late in the night, early in the morning. He got up. He went to a solitary place where he could pray to God. And he was with the Lord. And the people show up. They're going, where are you? Now, here's the interesting thing about this. Jesus Christ, God himself, shows up. And he still takes time to be with his Father. Now, that phrase, solitary place, 21st century translation, a place with no internet and no social media. The problem with our phones, with our other items, is we think we can't turn them off or the world will come to an end. Friend, let me just be real honest with us. I'm not, and you're not that important. If Jesus Christ could go away for a few hours to be with God, trusting that his Father could still manage the affairs of the world, let me just say this. You're not Jesus. If he could take time to pray, how much more will the world continue to turn if we pause? It's okay to turn off your phone. It's okay to turn off your computer. It's okay to get away with Jesus, for in those conversations, things will happen that cannot happen with other people in other places. Well, I know this because immediately the apostles find Jesus. Peter says, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Where you been? 
Jesus does not answer his question. Instead, he says, let's go over here where I can preach. That's why I'm here. Isn't it interesting that time with God gives you a confidence and a clarity about what you are here to do? If you are not with God, if he is not the one giving you marching orders, you will take your marching orders from everyone else, from your schedule, from other people's needs. You will constantly be pushed around by the whims and desires of others. Quick question. How many of you love to be pushed around by the schedules of other people? Nope. Prayer is the place where you get your direction from God and the confidence to move where he is calling you to move. The second thing is simply this. Jesus spent time in prayer. The other thing, though, is reflection on Scripture. And notice, I did not say reading the Scriptures. Reflecting, meditating, marinating. Here's the idea. My wife is a fantastic cook. How many of you men would say your wives are fantastic cooks? How many of you want to go home and have food today? Go ahead and raise your hands, men. Look, look, even if it's not true, this is your shot. Yeah? No? My wife, one of the things I love is when she does crock pot meals. Anyone else like crock pot meals? Oh, man. The other night we had this pork tenderloin. She put it in there. She marinated it with some great spices, some jalapenos, some, some barbecue sauce, some other... Oh, oh. Just a few hours later, it's almost lunchtime, hang with me. A couple hours, the house, the smell is just everywhere. I could taste it before I tasted it. It had been marinating for hours, and so when we got that pork roast out, it just kind of, yeah. This is the image of reflecting on Scripture. It just sits in your mind. It stays until it just kind of falls apart and seeps into the fabric of your being. How is it? How is it that Jesus Christ always opened his mouth and knew the right things to say? When he was tempted in the desert, 40 days without food, without anything, he is hungry and the devil tempts him. How is it that Jesus did what he did so well? He knew the Scriptures It is written. He responded to criticisms of people and accusations from the devil the same way. Now, here's the problem with your smartphone and your iPad and all the other things. And I love them. I got them as well. But the problem is you and I have Bibles on all of our devices. And you and I think, well, I got the device that has it. I've got a Bible that has it. I've got 13 different translations at home. I'll just look it up if I need to. No, you won't. There are situations that you will not have time to ask, what does God say? You will need to already know what he has said. It becomes not simply a reinforcement, but the defining filter of what is true in this world. There will be moments where you will already need to know, what has God said? Has he defined it for you? Understand, God is not in the habit of allowing you to define reality. Rather, Jesus Christ, through his word, has defined reality for us. And so we come to his word and we know it. I have hidden your word in my heart, says the psalmist, so that I will not sin against you. Our children, one of the things we're doing, and I give all the kudos to my wife, this summer, our kids are learning passages of scripture, a verse a week. 
And we're helping them get to know it, to understand it. Even if they don't get the whole point from the text years from now, they will have hidden God's word in their hearts because they need to know it. If you want to worship Jesus, if you want to see him rightly, how can you see a picture of someone if you do not look at them or listen to what they say? It's prayer. It's reflection on scripture. And the last thing is simply this. Are you ready for the big O? It's obedience. You say, well, I want to worship Jesus. I want to see and celebrate. I want to be on mission. Then listen to Jesus. Do what he says. I'm going to say something. And I know if you're like me, there are days where when the preacher's preaching, you kind of zone out. It's okay. It's one of the things we do in church. It's part of what keeps it fun. But here's the deal. I want you to wake up for just one minute, okay? Because here's the problem. I'm about to say something, and if you don't hear what I'm saying, you're liable to misunderstand a big point. Are you listening? Yeah? yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyone? Okay. Just listen. Here it is. Sometimes obedience is more important than belief. I'll say it again. Sometimes obedience is more important than, than belief. Here's what I mean. There will be times that the Lord will tell you to do something and you don't know why. In fact, it doesn't make sense. So that friend, that person here in the office, at your place, place, at your gym, wherever it may be, in your school, God says, I want you to befriend that person. You're like, have you met that person? The devil himself would not be so-and-so's friend. And you've seen how everyone who tries to engage with that person, 30 seconds later, they're gone because that person runs them off like a porcupine. God, you don't know what you're talking about. I can't do that. He says, no, 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 no. You do what I've told you to do. Trust me. And here's what happens. As you obey you will begin to see things that you can only see on the other side of obedience. You will believe things about God that you can never understand without first obeying God. Did you know there are some things that you will never know about your daddy God until you simply obey him, even when you don't understand why? A child who's told don't play in the street may not understand it until later, but in obedience, the child avoids pain and finds life. Obedience is a prerequisite to worship. Here's the thing. Some of you say, well, well, I just want to know the will of God. Friends, right now, you know two or three things that he's already told you to do. Why would God tell you a fourth thing if you and I are not willing to first do the three things he's already told us to do? Obedience. That we pray, we reflect, we obey, and as we do, in those moments, you will meet God, not on a mountain, but the realness of Jesus will become apparent to you, where you see him, and you celebrate him, and then you are ready to run on mission. Here's the good news. You do not need a mountain to meet with Jesus. You just need a moment to meet with Jesus. And tomorrow morning... When you wake up, you grab that cup of coffee, you grab that diet Coke, you grab whatever it may be, you get in your space, you find your place, and you... (sighs) And by God's grace, 
you will experience the coming voice of God that says, this is my son. I love him. Listen to him. And when you come down off the mountain into the week, you will say, where are we going, God? I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's do this. He will give you what you need as you fill up with him and empty yourself out through the week. You don't need a mountain. You just need a moment with Jesus. This is what a great worship experience looks like. 